but the idea of having a shared purpose and to enjoy special kind of memories together, I think that, that that's really important. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely miss the, the um, that change room environment that we've had in the rugby team. Mm-hmm. But I think we're starting to create that in our own business where we work with people that we love. We're all friends. And if you develop a culture that puts people at the heart of it, making people happy at the heart of it, they'll be more productive. Everyone's told from a young age, if you dedicate your life to this, Mm. you can achieve that. You know what I mean? Sport. If you you train like Owen Farrell does every single day and you live your life to be the best rugby player, you can do anything. You can achieve your dreams. But that's not quite the case, is it? Well, that's why sport translates across, you know, different cultures and races and different divides mm. you know I want to I want to join the movement but I've been through a bit of a roller coaster of emotions and, and also of opinions as well I tried, tried a lot of beers between the ages of uh, it's called an 18 and uh, <laughs> 32 when he started brewing I think we spent like five grand on this bus painted it ourselves knocked out the windows put 15 beer taps the day before the first game of the season we had brewed all the beer we just parked it on the corner of the field and the CEO was like fuck is going on and then uh, the first day I think we we, we sold a ton of beer and we we, we were playing the game I'll never forget it like looking over my shoulder and more interested in what was going on around the Wolfpack bus and was happening on the field the wonderful thing about being an entrepreneur is that you have to delve into every single area of running a business so I say one day you're the secretary next day you're the sales guy next day you're you're a lawyer I mean I'm six foot eight when I walk into a room it's very hard for me to act like I'm a you know, a, a shorter chipster. Yeah. And although I've got the beard now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you know. getting there. And the jeans aren't pretty tight. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. I actually can't uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's terrible. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> this one is something that we can... I know when I go to football, I naturally want to be a bit more rowdy as a result because I'm... Because yeah. it's, it's, you're an animal. Because I am an absolute animal. I'm, I'm a wolf in the wolf pack. Um, but... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Babylonia Media and our very first podcast series, The Entrepreneur's Experience. When they're starting off on their journey, entrepreneurs love being surrounded by other creative and energetic people working in flexible workspaces. So it's very appropriate that this series is sponsored by Spacemade. Spacemade transforms buildings to create enjoyable and immersive working spaces for entrepreneurs and remote workers alike. We in Babylonia have a space at one of the locations and have found it a great environment to work in. Spacemade has accessible workspaces throughout the UK. Check them out at www.spacemade.co. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Entrepreneur's Experience episode... Oh, I think it's eight? Is it eight? Yeah, episode eight. So. Uh, Babylonian Media. Today we are here with Alistair Hargreaves, found, a co-founder. Co-founder. Co-founder yeah. of, of Wolfpack Brewery. We're actually here at the venue, this beautiful venue. Um, Wolfpack Brewery was started in 2014, am I right? Or it kind of, the, the foundation of the idea was 2014, but you really started 2016. Yeah, well, no, we've been trading since 2014. The foundation is probably two years before that. Oh, uh, really? Trying to figure out how the hell to make beer. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. We're trading since 2014. Um, I retired from, from professional rugby in 2016, and, and my co-founder joined me shortly after that. Okay. And that's kind of when it really took off. Yeah, okay. And... Just touching on that point, you know, like you said, because you think about it for a while, but did you, very early career when you thought about post, you know, after rugby, did you ever think you'd be do, doing this? Is this? Was it no, like- no, I didn't. I think um, we were very lucky to play for a club that put a huge emphasis on, on life outside of, of rugby. And uh, my, my business partner's a really great mate of mine, Chris Wiles, and, and we got chatting about life after rugby. You get a bit older, a bit more tired and a bit more useless, and you start thinking, what the hell am I going to do next? And we started speaking to kind of business connections, you know, 
of the club, really. Mm. And, and the feedback we got was that sportsmen are very desirable kind of employees to have in any business. You know, they've got discipline, they can communicate, they can work hard and all the rest of it. Sure. But unless you've displayed those skills outside of the sporting field, they can be pretty, pretty useless. So we set about trying to think, okay, well, what businesses can we start? So at least we've got a bit of story and a bit of experience. And you pair that kind of insight with the other one, which is everyone always tells you find something that you love and find a way to make money from it. Yeah, the, on that point, there you go. So we were like, uh, yeah. So we thought, okay, craft beer is kicking off. Um, let's see if we can make this work, and let's see if we can brew a beer that we can sell it to our, our, our supporters. And sure. That was the beginning of kind of the Wolfpack journey. But you really focused on lager, in particular, craft lager as opposed to craft. Yeah. But why? Why is that the case? So in, in 2012, um, craft beer was taking off, and and what we saw was that there was this kind of um, reawakening about what beer could be. Mm-hmm. And, and it was all about flavor and hoppiness and high ABVs. Which and, I don't like, by the way. Well, a lot of, like, a lot of it's crap. Yeah. You know, and, and our feeling was that, well, yeah, so there, there are some amazing beers out there and there's some amazing double, triple hopped IPAs and things that blow the top of your mouth off. But, you know, we don't necessarily like those beers. And just because you bring lager doesn't mean it can't be craft. It doesn't mean it can't be unique, full of flavor, interesting. And we kind of always thought there'd be uh, a bit of a reappraisal at some point in the lager category. And for guys to realize that, okay, well, just because I like lager doesn't mean I have to just smash Stella uh, sure, or sure, Foster's. Sure. Yeah. So we're like, let's, let's focus on the things that we like drinking, try to do it differently, try to do it well, try to create a story about just how our special lager can be. And we're still trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, it's, it's great. It's obviously been going really well considering the tenure of the, of the business, especially in the drinks world. I don't think, I just wanted to track back a bit. I don't think we clarified enough really who you are, if that's all right. So what I would say, yeah. would you mind explaining your, your sports career and, and maybe a little bit of that journey alongside when, when it stopped and, and, and where you are now? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, was, uh, pretty briefly, so I uh, played professional sport from school, so from the age of 18, played for a team called the Sharks in Durban, South Africa, played a few times for the Springboks, yep. and then signed a contract for Saracens in the UK and ended up, uh, you know, was lucky enough to captain the club for a few seasons. And um, yeah, I guess off the off the back of um, off the time at the club, joined an advertising agency, spent uh, a few years there working on other other breweries, kind of beer. And I thought, fuck this, yeah, do it do it myself. You know, I've got something going. Yeah, I've got a passion for the industry, and um, let's see if we can we can you know make a full go of what we've got in Wolfpack. Did you? So I guess I guess you called Wolfpack for elements of your past experiences within the sporting world, right? There was a bit of an ethic there that fit that fit with. The idea of the Wolfpack, yeah. Brand, I mean, I like guess. in a in a in a Saracens rugby context, Wolfpack was a it was a mentality when you played the game, right? It was hunting in packs and mm-hmm. tackling and being physical and all those kind of things, being fierce and all that kind of stuff. But we thought there was a really nice story around what Wolfpack actually stands for in society, mm-hmm. and the ethos of it is the fact that strength of the wolf is in the pack, right? Like we're better together, and that's the one thing that is now you know with everything that's happened with COVID and lockdowns, I think more more relevant than ever. It's like, you know, we all think we're pretty powerful by ourselves, but actually life's so much better when you share it with your pack. Yeah, agreed. So, so wolf packs about engagement with people. It's, we always say it's for social animals. And, um, and we come from that background. You know, sports and, and especially rugby is about being part of a team and being part of something greater than yourself. So mm-hmm. this is kind of our way to take that, that feeling of camaraderie that we had in, in, in our rugby team and, and share it with, um, with people who engage with our beer. And... Uh I guess that camaraderie is, is within your team, within your business, and, and, and that's going really well. Just just slightly tracking back, how, how great was, if you could put it into words, that camaraderie feeling of rugby? 
because like, the reason why I want to I want to say that if I can elaborate a bit because I played a, a rugby a lot myself. I can't I can't even in a business sense I can't quite pinpoint how amazing that was at times. Do you, would would you agree with that? And is there any way you could put yeah. put sort of a few words in? It's, into it's that? impossible to replicate that the, the emotional highs thing of playing sports. Mm-hmm. Get on a rugby field, football pitch, whatever it may be, and and you put your heart and soul into something. It's physical, and you win. There's this like euphoria that you feel, and to share that with other people is something that that's quite special. Yeah. So that's something that you know I don't think we'll ever be able to necessarily replicate in business, but the idea of having a shared purpose. And to enjoy special kind of memories together, I think that that that's really important. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely miss the the um, that change room environment that we yeah. had in the rugby team. Mm. But I think we, we're starting to create that in our own business where we work with people that we love. We're all friends, and um, you have that people culture, same, right? Yeah, it's, we're all the same mission. Like, yeah, we're in this yeah. together, and if the business, whether it fails or succeeds, it will be by the strength of its of, of its people and the power of the the collective, rather than. What I do, or what Chris does, it's, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. of us in this together. So there's a there's similar kind of parallels that carry through both things. There's a ton of parallels. I mean, that would kind of be one of my other questions: is that what would you say are the? I guess the ethics or the. I know you, I was when I was doing a bit of research on you. I know you use the word intangible qualities. Mm. Um, could you identify them apart did, from the did, sort? Did I? Yeah, you, well, you did it. Well, in a particular <laughs> so that's my you thing, did. intangible qualities. Well, you right. said, I, the reason why that, that stuck with me is because I think there's so many intangible qualities or ethics that you can put out there, which must cross over when you when you learn sort of leadership and camaraderie within within sport, and that works in business, in my opinion. I think I think team ethic is huge. It's clearly something you care about, and it's just part of who you are, regardless. Would there be anything beyond that, or could would could would we even sort of expand on those points in the business in the business world? Yeah, I think there are there are definitely some really strong lessons that do transfer, and I think we're always focus on the cliches, the ones I mentioned earlier, discipline, mm. um, communication, teamwork, and all those kind of things. Uh, I think what's really interesting to look at, and what I've learned and had to learn pretty quickly when I joined an advertising agency, is to actually look at the differences between how a sporting team organisation is run compared to business, right? Because mm. In a sporting team, your definition of success is pretty universal across the board. Yeah. It's like you all want the same thing. You're in this together. You all want to play for your country. You want to play 100 games for England or South Africa in my case. You know, win championships. And if you do that and you're winning games, the box is ticked. Right. Whereas you join a business and the real working world, or some people might care more about their family, their free time, their professional development, their personal development. So you've got to understand that people are very, very different and, and much more diverse um, then I think they are in a, in, a, in a sporting team where you have a, a real common uh, goal. The common goal is quite quite obvious, whereas it's much different in the yeah. business space. There could be different individual goals, plus that doesn't necessarily what contribute to the bigger picture. Or? Yeah, like your metrics of success are very clearly defined in sports. Mm-hmm. On a Saturday afternoon, you either win or you lose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the one part of it that, that, that I kind of came into the first business that I ran and thought, okay, well, I'm going to do things like I did in the rugby team. This sure. is how we do things. And this is, it's, you know, it, it's like we all have to buy into this. And, and I eventually realized, actually, hang on, what he wants and what she wants are very different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, that and I had to learn sense, to, yeah. and, and also I think in, 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 in sporting cultures, across codes it's um it's the dominant personalities that are kind of heard the most or listened to the most mm-hmm. you know uh, often the most forceful people where i've also found that the best listeners are probably the most influential in a, in a working environment so those those are interesting lessons to learn but i think that the thing that i learned to not necessarily from rugby but from the club that i played at is that if you learn to if you develop a culture that puts people at the heart of it, making people happy at the heart of it, sure. 
they'll be more productive. We felt that in sport. We all looked after so well. Our families looked after. Our children looked after. Our club had a crash. So you had all these, you know, six foot eight rugby players in the morning. These, these guys pull up with their, you know, holding their daughters' hands with pigtails in their hair and yeah, yeah. drop them at the crash. And then at lunchtime, the kids would all play in the, in the family room and stuff. And, you know, there was just such a special thing. You know, we cared more about the club than we did about the game of rugby. Mm. Because we were so well, well looked after, because we felt we were so, a part of a family that cared about us, we put more effort in. And I definitely put a lot more effort into my career in England playing for Saracens than I ever did um, playing in South Africa, even though I played for South Africa, which is probably not a great remark on me, but it's a, but it's a great remark on, on the culture at Saracens. Well, I, I think that makes sense. You know, I talk a lot when I speak to entrepreneurs and just generally what we're trying to do here. The outside variables towards the business are so important. The day to day attributes that contribute to your satisfaction or gratification will, will make you better in sport, will make you in, better in an entrepreneurial sense. Hence, why for me, you know, certain elements of doing exercise every day or reading and all these sort of things really contribute to, to my bigger picture. Um, I, I wanted to just touch a bit more on the Saracens' point, point with regards to the, this, this structure that you had or the support system you had. There's definitely now more than ever a a knowledge of how dangerous it can be for people when they leave sport. Sure. Um, or, yeah. if they, or if they leave sport early because they don't make it. Do you, you were obviously very lucky there, right? That, that was quite unique when, at Saracens at the time. Do you see it happening more? And what do you, where, maybe this is a bit too broad a question, but what do you worry for, for people leaving sport or maybe kids not making it? But do, you, do you see that a lot more? And worrying, do you think there's ways we can tackle it a bit more? Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly concerning. Um, you do see it more and more because everyone's told from a young age, if you dedicate your life to this, mm. you can achieve that. You know what yeah. I mean? Sport. If you if you train like Owen Farrell does every single day and you live your life to be the best rugby player, you can do anything. You can achieve your dreams. There's, but there's, that's not quite the case, is it? You can train as hard as you want. You can be incredibly unlucky. You can get injuries. You know, you might not get selected. You just might not be that good. You just might. You yeah. might not be that good. In, in simple terms. And. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and, I, and I do believe that, that luck has a lot to do with it. You've got to put yourself in the position to be lucky. Mm-hmm. And then you need a coach who likes you and you need to play a really good game at a trial when the selectors are, are, are looking at you or the contract's about to be just, uh, signed. Um, and I think we're not good at encouraging well-rounded people. You know, sports clubs are like, okay, I want you to be the best rugby player. And I don't care what else you do as long as you play well on a Saturday afternoon. That's all I care about. So they're, they're not concerned about the human attributes of the person well, for, for, for the great good of that human I mean, being. I'd, li- I'd like to think that that conversation is changing, but I think traditionally, no, the, 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 again, the metrics of success for a rugby club are, well, mm. how good are you at rugby? And we don't care what else you do. Mm. But that does often lead to people being very unhappy post, um, you know, post-sport, post-career. And, and I've obviously seen a lot of that. So, yeah, I, th- I think we've got to bring a greater awareness to the fact that there is life after sport, and everyone kind of knows that getting into it. Like, no sportsman gets into the game, sportsman or woman gets into a, a, their, their particular line of work and thinks, oh, I'm going to play until I'm 60. Mm. And then it doesn't happen. But while you're in it, people need to be saying, are you studying? You know, are you connecting? Have you got interests away, away from the game? It's starting to, I, mean, I think it's slowly it's starting to land. And mainly what, because there's such a psychological... anticlimax. well, anticlimax isn't the right word, but it's a dramatic drop in... in Stimulation, it's, it's, it's bound to affect people emotionally, isn't it? Well, like the advice that I mentioned earlier that we got, well, mm-hmm. you've got great skills, but if you haven't exhibited those away from your chosen sport, mm-hmm. how are they good to me? You know, you can be a brilliant tennis player. You can be a world champion. But if you come to Wolfpack and ask me for a job, 
Well, it's like, you know, what do you know about our industry? What are you going to add to our team? You yeah. know, what are your expertise besides a great, you know, topspin second serve? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't yeah. help me. Okay. And, um, and, and I think that that's a, that's a very interesting point because people are told, you know, the only thing that matters in your life is you need to be the best sportsman you can be. Don't sure. worry about everything else. Sure. Train, eat, sleep, breathe, you know, this thing that you're doing right now. But there has to be a, a, a kind of moment or, or a mentality that allows people to zoom out and go, well, this is my life over the next 50 years rather than just the next 15. And, and that sometimes gets lost in conversation or translation. Yeah, I'm sure. Just out of interest, I was actually thinking, um, when you played at younger age groups, did you do you think there was definitely people who didn't get a chance to be pro simply because luck or timing wasn't there and they could have easily been as good as you or, or, or dare I say better? better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, look, I mean, they, I, I don't think anybody can stand out there and say, I am a professional sportsman because I worked harder than anybody else. That just doesn't exist. Mm. Of course, you give yourself more chance to be the greatest in the world if you train harder. Mm -hmm. And indeed, there's no, there's no coincidence that the greatest sportsmen or women in the world are the ones that are the most dedicated. Yeah. But you don't see the other thousands of people that might have been as dedicated that might not have been as talented or hadn't got the right coaching or might have lived in a, 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 a specific geography that didn't have access to the right tools, training facilities, uh, and all those different bits and pieces. You know? So yeah. there's a, there, there are a lot of different like, data points mm. that determine whether you actually make a success of it, out of yourself in sports Yeah, or there's, or say, 100 variables that... that Contributing if Absolutely. you don't, if you don't get eighty or ninety of them, it's not, it's not going to go right. Um, so I, I hope this isn't too political. But did um, did you see that a lot when you back home in South Africa that, that the lack of opportunity was simply based on on maybe a regional situation or whatever it may be? That even, yeah. even though there was so much talent out there. Yeah, like I think what I learned from South Africa is you can't solve in terms of development. You can't solve that from top to bottom. You don't go to an international team and say. Um, okay, the South African rugby team needs to be made up of people from this background. Mm. We need to go right to the beginning and say, let's make sure that people of all backgrounds in our country have access to the right facilities, coaching opportunities. If that happens, then, you know, the, the, the people that are the best end up at the top, mm. if, that, if that kind of makes sense. They yeah, work well, their way through the system. Yeah. Whereas if you don't get access to those at a young age, you can't, you can't be a 15-year-old sportsman for the first time get a coach, get a good pair of trainers, get a good training program, and by 18 expect to be competing with people that have been doing that for the last 12 years. It's, just, it's, a, it's impossible. Well, I guess, I guess you're talking a bit about, you know, the sort of invest, the, the way that the sports investment is made across the board within a country, right? You're saying infrastructure in the right place is quite, quite evenly spread. I mean, the reason why I asked that, and I hope I'm not pushing on, on a point that's maybe a bit so, too social or political, but mm. I, when I went on rugby tour South Africa, the best team we played was was basically a shantydown team. Mm. They were unbelievable, unbelievable. And, I, and I, what was interesting about it was was you felt that just playing them was an opportunity for them. That helped because if we if there was a player that was particularly good, we we because we were junior Saracens mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. we could have gone and maybe got that player. And it's just it's just interesting to see. And I wonder do you, do you pay attention to that much when you when you go back home, or do you do you keep an eye on it? Is do you feel it's getting better? Because obviously South African rugby is so huge and it's it's dominating sport in many ways anyway. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a it's again, it's a it's probably a, a podcast on its own. Yeah, because um, South Africa is a, a, a weird and wonderful place, and obviously it comes with a huge amount of a, a hugely tragic kind of backstory to it, and that mm -hmm. influences people in all walks of life and all professions, and it's incredibly sad in a lot of ways. Um, but if you look at 
the recent achievements of the South African rugby team and you know particularly the World Cup final sure. victory and you look at the players that are influential in that team a lot of those guys came from the backgrounds that you kind of speak of mm. a lot of the, those guys who uh, one guy in particular um, who scored kind of essentially the, 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 the winning try Makazolo or Mpimpi mm. he, he came from the most dire circumstances that anyone could come, for, come from in the country and there's quite a Quite a, a very kind of emotional moment when you when you look back at, at some of the interviews, all the players on their number on the back of their jersey, it was a little kind of um, collage of people that they had chosen to be on their shirts, so friends, family, parents, you know, influences, and so all these numbers were made up of like you know, 200, 300 photos, and and this guy, my pimpy, only had photos of himself. Really, and guys are like, what? Why have you got photos of yourself? And he wow. said, Well, got no family. I had no idea. About Dad that. died. Mum died. Brothers died. Did this on my own. Wow. Came from, you know, from wherever he came from to be one of the most coveted rugby players you know, in the world, scoring a try in the final. And Sia Khaleesi, the captain, you know, would, would have been those guys who 10 years ago wouldn't have got the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now is, is now probably the most influential South African rugby player ever to have played the game. So, yeah, things are starting to, to rectify themselves from that perspective. And, um, and yeah, it's about time. Yeah, it certainly is. No, I had no idea about that story. That's, yeah, it's, it's, um, that's quite... It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, like, it, it's yeah. sad and scary, but it's also very, very You can't not deeply admire that, when, that person when you hear that. Well, that's why sport translates across you know, different cultures and races and different divides, mm. you know, um, socio-economic circumstances. You know, that sport's incredibly powerful, and it's been incredibly powerful in South Africa for that exact reason. Yeah. Um, again, when I was doing a bit of research, and I hope I hope you remember this, unlike the last one, but but you talked in part about being quite concerned with making sure your I guess your beer or, or the way you're pouring or where you can create atmospheres within a clubhouse, or whatever, were mm. were very deep rooted in grassroots sport. Mm. Is that I guess we're labouring the point a bit because I know we talked about it in in some areas that because it all connects to sport. But is that a real concern, no matter? How, what you do going forward with the with the business? Yeah, look, I think you've got to try to find points of authenticity, right? People always talk about that. It's a bit of a, bit of a cliche. Yeah. Every brand wants a purpose and they want to be authentic and different. And and a lot of those decisions are made in a boardroom. Yeah. So you go work for the biggest brewer in the world, AB and Bev, and they'll have a team of 30 strategists that will go, okay, what's our points of authenticity? Well, nothing. You've paid $10 million for someone to develop a brand mm. and you've, you, you've kind of fabricated a purpose. Um, for us, we go back to, well, why do we start this? What is our inspiration and how do we be true to that? So things like supporting grassroots sports um, are very important to us. You know, we support all, all our kind of community pubs, response, uh, pubs, pubs as well, but pubs, uh, yeah, clubs. Yeah. Clubs, yeah. Um, so we support, you know, so what, so cricket, what, what, women's what, hockey teams, men's hockey teams, rugby. Sponsorship, basically. Sponsorship, and access to, you know, so guys will say, well, we, we need kept cool. So we'll, we'll say, cool, we'll, we'll, we'll buy a kit for you, put the name in the jersey, yeah. couple of cases of beer a month, and just tell the, the Wolfpack story and just to be a, just again, for a, 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 we, we don't have a high lofty purpose. We, we are a company that makes beer at the end of the day. And our purpose is to bring people together to have fun. Because we feel like social connections are incredibly important in this day and age of Facebook, Netflix, sit in your couch oh, yeah, it's, and it's, live in a world yeah. without even leaving your, your front room kind of thing. So that, that's our purpose. It's like, yeah, just get it's, around it's completely integ integral for yeah. just kids growing up as well, I think. Massively, yeah. Um, does, it, does it surprise you how well you've done? Um, well, I don't know. Like doing, it's, it's what is doing well, right? Um, well, just in the sense you are, you are. I know you're poured in about three hundred clubs, uh, pubs, bars, yeah. clubhouses across the UK. In 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 the in the sh I guess business terms, it's quite a short time you've done mm. that in. 
Um, and I don't mean that in a rude way. I, just, I, I always am interested when people do well. Does it, is it quite surprising? Is it quite overwhelming? Did, like, are you quite surprised where you are? Is this at all where you expected to be at this stage? I, I mean, look, no, not necessarily where we expected to be. I, I, I don't think we ever put a, a target on where we wanted to be. And, and if we did, yeah, we might might have surprised ourselves in the fact that you know we, we, we might have exceeded that. But the way Chris uh, and I have been brought up as sportsmen is to always expect more. Yeah. So it's probably a, a, it's a blessing and a curse, you know. And a lot, lot of a lot of regards, when we get to, to a place, we we sometimes don't take the necessary time to step back and appreciate it because we go, "What's next? Mm. Like, how do we make this bigger and better?" So we're only at the start of our journey. You know, I would say, you know, always successful. I'd say, no, not not yet. Like, we've got we've got a bigger picture that we'd like to achieve. And, but, and what what is that? What I guess what's the bigger proposition for the next year and then the big five year plan? Um. Yeah, I mean, to dig into the business, it's it's um, it's doing more, but trying to keep the the heart of what we're doing alive. Mm. And I think from from the beer side of the business, the brewing side of the business, we would just like to essentially grow our stable of, of Wolfpack beers and get them into the right places so people can interact with it, and um, and people can understand what we're all about. Again, this view of bringing lager and craft lager back into the mainstream is a, it's a big play for us. There are a lot of people doing it; it's doing it differently. And on that side, there's a lot of motivation behind proving that we can create a world-class brand that sure. is actually relevant to people, that relates to people. And they look at our, 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 what we're doing in our business and go, yeah, that, that's something I'd like to be a part of. I want to, I want to join the Wolfpack. Mm. That's one arm. And then, and then we've got kind of um, two, two bars and, and a third opening soon. And that part of the business is about driving community engagements around our, our, our beer as well. So come have a real experience. You know, rather than buying a, a can of beer from Tesco, like, Get get involved, get around people, have some conversations, sure. and that and that's the heart of it. So it's it, it's it's togetherness at the core of what we what we do. Did you um, always plan on having venues, or was that a secondary situation because because you were pouring quite well? Yeah, no, secondary, completely. Like we we um, so we developed all our own recipes and our our brands, obviously, mm -hmm. um, and then very early on we decided to contract out the brewing of our beer, so we don't actually own a physical brewery. Sure. Uh, we just own the means of kind of production, if you, if you like. But we realized very quickly that we still wanted a place to be able to tell a story. Mm. Um, I think bricks and mortar is a very you know, important part of any, of any brand. Yeah. So we needed, we needed a home. We needed a place to come and do things like this, to sit with people, to talk to people, to, to give people an experience behind just uh, what, it, what a beer is. Because you know, ultimately, the, I think the experience is something that sells a product rather than just the, you know, the, the intrinsic of the actual product itself. Yeah, that, that tangible experience is, is, is definitely the case. Has it surprised you how tough hospitality is? Well, I mean, the, the place you're sitting in now was, was a car or well, a mechanic's garage for 50 years. Yeah. And we were like, oh, I'll just buy the garage and we're like, just, we'll do a bit of this and that and put are a you, bar in. Oh, you bought it blind without, without any planning? Yeah, we just bought it and we were like, oh, we'll just transfer the light. They're like, you know, you need a four <laughs> license to run a bar. We're like, okay. what, is, so you, what is it so at the moment? So you potentially could be sitting on an empty plot right now if, if things didn't go that yeah, way. Yeah, but it was, I mean, it was, the space was dire. There were like, in this upstairs section, there were car parts up here that had been like hoarded, that were, that had been out of production. Mm. The cars have been out of production for like 30 years. And we were like, oh, no, I'll just get rid of the stuff and pour some beers and it'll be a bit of fun. Yeah. And, um, and I'll tell you what, it actually, we were right. It was a hell of a lot of fun, but it wasn't easy. So we, we surrounded ourselves with very good people. And I think um, we've always been really good at knowing what we're good at and also having enough self-awareness to know what we're really bad at. Yeah. A lot of things that we're really bad at. <laughs> um, and kind of just through trial and error and, 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 and I guess a bit of blood, sweat and tears. Sure. Yeah, we managed to make it work. And, um, and we're very excited about the pub 
slash buy side of our business. Well, it's very exciting, so, isn't it, to, to be involved in, like you said, something where you see people socialising and, and what, you know, when a, when this place is really busy, you get quite a kick out of it. Like massively. Hospitality is epic. I mean, it's, it's for me, it's just the most exhilarating industry to be in because you get to see people experiencing the things that you've built. You know what I mean? You're not selling um, a strategy or a plan or an accounting, you know, but an accountancy software. Mm-hmm. You actually, you see people get their pies and you see their reaction and you see people having fun around what you've created. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's probably the most rewarding part of it, I, I, I think. Um, just, just on that, I mean, first of all, I totally agree with you. Actually, I worked in nightclubs for a while myself. And when you put together an, an evening where people are having a great time, you see that crowd and you almost feel that, that, that yeah. atmosphere. It's, it's, it really is it's quite hard to describe, but it's, it's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. And would you mind touching on your feeling about the switch situation at the moment with the hospitality industry and COVID? Um, I struggle with it. I think that there's a lot better ways it could be done. I think surely, just like we've sort of emphasised the social element is so important to people's mm-hmm. humanity. What's your, what's, what's your general view on it and, and would you be willing to expand on it? Yeah, I, I'll try. I mean, I, I've been through a bit of a roller coaster of emotions and, and also of opinions as well. Mm. And the one thing that I think I've settled on is that whatever we think we know now, we're wrong. You know what I mean? We've all got our... First of all, we're, we're like, we've all become... We didn't even know what the word meant six months ago, but now everyone's an epidemiologist. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, everyone's a statistician. And everyone says, look at this inside, look at this data. And everyone's got their own agenda to, to bat. And you, and you can look at both sides of the story, you know, lockdown, anti-lockdown, you know, whatever, add a, a myriad of other options in there, herd immunity and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And you could probably put, put together quite a cohesive arguments around why you're right. I think in five years' time, we'll look back and go, oh, we're all wrong. Um, what I do know is that if you, if you sink businesses and if you don't give them an opportunity to operate and you close them down, you obviously it leads to, to, to massive economic decline, which we're seeing. And, um, and in the long term, huge amounts of poverty, you know, huge amounts of pain and, and, and heartache. Now, I don't have the I'm not purporting to have the answer either, mm. but I just know that the answer can't be lock everything down for the foreseeable future, you know, and hope that the virus goes away and that business just picks up again. That's not how it works. Um, so it's a, it's a very scary time for, for all of us. And, and from a hospitality perspective, um, I think we're the third biggest provider of employment in the country. Yep. You know? and, um, and obviously we're taking a beating and, and, and you know, there, there's some philosophical conversations that I won't even enter into when you go well, wh- well the cost of saving one life versus you know, saving a million jobs well maybe that's, maybe that's balanced maybe that we should be doing that mm-hmm. but at the moment all we know is that in six months time the hospitality industry will be changed forever and we have to and, and, and only then will we be able to figure out whether the decisions we've made now have been right or wrong, but there's no doubt that they're very difficult. Are you, are you optimistic though, in, in the sense if things do go back to normal within a reasonable time frame? And I guess that's the big question: right? is what is the reasonable time frame? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm optimistic for our business. Mm. Um, you know, we'll we'll get through this, and 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 so will the good operators. You know, but but I think the industry is also made up of thousands of small local kind of community places, and that yeah. are, that are not necessarily. They don't have the same plan as us. We want to grow. We want to be massive. You know, we want to be everywhere. And um, and we've got the you know, I've got time and energy and passion on our side. A lot of people are very happy to own a little pub, little restaurant, little takeaway shop, little off license, and that pays the bills every single month. 
So you close those down. I mean, it doesn't mean that industry's dead, but those people are out of a job and out of a livelihood. Well, for me, it definitely decimates a good 20 to 30% of the overall industry. Yeah, I mean, look, pick a number, right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds. That, like that would be the be, minimum in my, in my correct. And then what, what what happens to those people? Yeah, it, what happens to those people? Look, in terms of the industry, I I, I truly believe that again, back down to the the heart and soul of it is like a, an anecdote from from the Wolfback Bar here is we're on a we're on a commercial road, so there's um, businesses either side of us that are closed down during the weekends, mm-hmm. and when we open for takeaway, you couldn't be, we couldn't believe how many people came out for ta- a beer and a plastic beer. cup and yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of. Linger around the pavement for half an hour because they just wanted to be around people. Sure, and um, and I think that is true of society. Like, what is what has been taken away from us during lockdown? Well, yeah, we can still access you know the, the basic you know, basic needs, you know, but we can't be with the people that we love. We can't be around people that well love like. Can't even be around people that we dislike. We can't be around people, <laughs> you know. And, that, and that's yeah. and that's a it's, it's like that is a human need that I think it's spoken about. Like, we need that. That interaction to keep us going, and and like you said, we can go to the philosophy philosophies of it all day. But what is the like you said that that being around people, there's so much detrimental value to people's mental health on that point of view as well. Which yeah, like what's which, the which opportunity kind of cost, right? Yeah, of, of all this, and we don't we no one's talking about that. Yeah. Certainly in the mainstream. Yeah, we just look at infection rates, hospital rates, deaths. Yeah, but I think the one thing that we need to throw into the conversation is okay, well. What's the trade-off? What, what's the trade-off? Yeah, uh, absolutely. What are the the And I think people are people about? are in these environments talking about that. Yeah, exactly. Which, well, which, which is so interesting. But we don't have. But we don't have as they call about the, the science. And and, and like, as far as I'm concerned, we're not following the science. That's such a broad term. We're yeah. following specific pieces of data that are used to justify one part of an argument. But science is not not data, right? Science is how you use that data, right? And and, and to make decisions. So do you, if, if that kind of makes sense. No, no, I'm, so I'm, we get te- I'm with we, you we get graphs. We look at graphs all day. We go, what, what is that? Oh, no, it just looks like it's going like that. That yeah. must be right. What, what's, what's the human effect? What's the human yeah. connection to, the, to that number, I guess, is, is, is the point. Um, just, I, guess, I guess we, just tracking back to Wolfpack in particular, how do you make the beer? How, how did it start? How did, you, how did you, how many beers did you try before you got there? How does it work now with regards to where you make it? And, and I tried so try a lot of beers between the ages of, uh, it's called it 18 and, uh, <laughs> and 32 when he started brewing. Um, so I did a lot of market research, <laughs> which was good, especially as a rugby player. Mm. Um, no, look, so, so when, we, when, you started deciding, when you decided to brew, we knew nothing about it. Absolutely nothing about it. So we literally bought a home brewing kit and started just understanding the process, read a few books. Went and toured a few breweries. The, the, the craft brewing community is very kind of close-knit and, and very friendly. We just pick up the phone and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Do you mind if we come and have a little poke our heads around your sure. facility? Sure. You guys are great. So I started brewing at home. Mm-hmm. Um, came up with a recipe that we liked. Went to Saracens and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We are going to brew this beer. We're buying a railway arch like everyone was doing. We're importing a kit from Bel- like a brewing kit from Belgium, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And they said, hey, guys, great. Keen to support you, but there's actually a commercial agreement in place. You can't. Sold beer at the stadium. Yeah. Because our bars. Yeah, so are, I remember hearing about this. This is why you got the bus, right? So we were like, okay. Yeah. So we went and bought a double decker bus. Mm-hmm. We found a scrapyard and uh, geez, I, 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 we went to the ends of the earth to find this bloody thing. But I mean, I think we spent like five grand on this bus, painted it ourselves, knocked out the windows, put 15 beer taps. And the day before the first game of the season, we had brewed all the beer. We just parked it on the corner of the field. Mm. And the CEO was like, what the fuck is going on? 
And he said, well, you said you couldn't pour through the, you know, the, the bars. Well, that's not, yeah. And yeah, yeah, we isn't, are. This isn't the land on the, the, the stadium, yeah. right? Yeah. And then uh, the first day, I think, we, we, saw, we saw a ton of beer. And we, we, we were playing the game. I'll never forget it. I'm like looking over my shoulder and more interested in what was going on around the Wolfpack yeah, bus yeah, and was sure. happening on the field. Yeah. And afterwards, we went back and we had a, kind of like a backpack of, of cash at the time. And we were like, geez, okay. Uh, we need to brew beer for next week. And we're like, no, this is, this, is, this is not sustainable. Can't do this ourselves. And, and then started looking at the model of the business. And, and I think... Most small breweries fail because either they don't have the right quality control, the right expertise to be a brewery, or when they, if they do have that and they do become successful, they can't achieve scale, you know, and they have to constantly reinvest in, in, their, in their equipment and their facilities and, the, and, and their staff. So we said if we can find the right partners to brew consistent beer to our specification, um, obviously pay more for the cost of production, but not have to own our own brewery as such, it allows us to be, to be agile. You know, fixed overheads, very low, small small number of staff. And with that system in place, we can scale dramatically or rapidly without having to reinvest. So that the model of our business was like, took inspiration. And again, it's the cliches of like, oh, well, Airbnb, the biggest hotel chain in the world, doesn't own any, own any hotels. Uber, the biggest taxi cat, doesn't own any, doesn't own any taxis. We're like, well, maybe we could be that of brewing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we sold, uh, sold a million pounds last year, but we don't actually own a brewery. And, you know, we employ... A million pounds worth of beer. A million pints. Pints, sorry, okay. Yeah, so that's a, that, you know, that's a, that's a ton of beer. And we've only, we only employ, like, as in a head office facility outside of our bars, we employ sure. three people. Okay. Um, so, so, so for things like, and of course, I'd love to say, oh, no, we saw a global pande- pandemic happening. That's how we built our business like we did. Of course, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But you always know that there's going to be, you know, kind of desperate times and uncertain times in a business career. And, um, and the shape of our business and the model of our business has allowed us to cope with things like you know, these lockdowns. So the beer, the taste of the beer on the double-decker bus when you first poured it to now is, is quite different? I'd like to think it's pretty bang on because, because we're not doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. My, my kind of the point is if we had decided to do it ourselves and we just said, no, we're actually into Look, it's probably got better, if I'm honest. Yeah. But if we had decided, no, we can do this all ourselves, we can handle it, we wouldn't have got the consistency right. Um, we would have had to compromise in quality. We wouldn't have the time to do it. So now every every single batch of beer gets kind of tested, clinically tested or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And, mm-hmm. and if we don't like the beer we get or there's a problem or doesn't taste right, we get the batch number, we go back and say, hang on, guys, let's see the spec sheets. And if it's not up to specification, and luckily that hasn't happened yet, we'd have the ability to just turf that batch. Um, whereas a, a kind of small batch facilities is much much more difficult to do. Yeah, no, I'm sure it makes so much sense that how efficient you are, the fact that you have so little stuff that you can get out so much beer and have that output. It's well, really, I mean, it's really quite impressive, to be honest. Well, no, I mean, thanks for saying that. But the, 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 the whole idea is that the most important thing is what's in your glass, right? Like, for sure, we, 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 people have a story. We've got, we've got our story. People want to be part of a brand that I've spoken about. Well, we've got that brand. Mm. Um, the product needs to be epic. It needs to be brilliant. And it needs to be brilliant every single time. Well, we think we've got that. So whether we did it ourselves and me and... Chris were in the, in the mash tun, you know, or we brew that with another really good... So, so I just want to clarify to yeah. listeners and viewers, when you say Chris, that's, that's uh, Addison's business. business that's right. Just, yeah, just yeah, in case yeah. people didn't. Yeah. Um, I think I said it earlier. I think you did, but I just... Always give, give, give Wiles your yeah, shout yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, We leave him out of the interview. He's not very, you know... He's, yeah, he's not media trained. <laughs> no, he's not, not. He's good. He's, he's like face, face for radio. So this is a radio ah, interview. Okay. Be fine. Okay, I've so, been told that as well. No, but, he's hey. a good bloke, but he's not a looker. So... Um, <laughs> You know, yeah, he, so he's going to be really happy with you when he hears that. Yeah, that's fine. He, <laughs> he, 
We won't tell them what's happening. We won't tell them. We won't tell them uh, yeah, what, what YouTube channel is on. So anyway, exactly. ca- carry no, on. No, but look, the, the point is quality quality in your glass. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's what we've been able to achieve at scale yeah. without breaking, uh, breaking the, the, the bank. Um, is business for you the... Is it about the end goal or the process? Both. Yeah, look, I mean, I, th- I think... I'd, I'd be lying if I said we didn't want to make money. Yeah. For sure, of course we do. And... Um, you know, with, with that money, it allows us to do bigger and better things in, in, in the business as well. It allows us to grow our business, to build more pubs, to make more beer, um, to market ourselves in different ways. And that's incredibly rewarding as well. Um, but the journey is, is, is the thing that gets out of, us out of bed, not, not the end goal, right? Mm-hmm. So day to day, and like we've been doing during the, the, the pandemic, it's like there's never a dull moment. You're always having to react to, you know, a new announcement or something different or, 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 or to have to really like put heads together and try to be innovative. How do we make this work? How, how do we find ways to still be relevant, although they've closed the industry down? Mm. You know, and, and, and those kind of challenges have been quite fun. But yeah, it's about enjoying the space we're in now, but also building to a point where, you know, at some point in the future, we would like to you know, make some, some, some good money out of it as well. So, so my sort of point on top of that would be, is it a legacy sort of longevity business for you or would you like to sell or would you not like to delve into that? Um, no, I don't mind delving into it. Look, we, we, from the outset, our mentality is to set up a sustainable business. So would I like to wolf, uh, work for Wolfpack for the rest of my business career? Yeah, absolutely. If it made sense and um, I could um, live the life I wanted to live through Wolfpack and still be running the business and at the heart of the brand at, at, in a heartbeat. But that being said, if someone comes along in five years' time, makes us an offer that we think is brilliant and, and the timing's right, we'd look at it, you know? But we, we haven't set ourselves up to exit because I think that that's also, and I, and I think it's, it's becomes like pretty prevalent in brewing. People see the likes of Camden and Beaver Town and go, think, yeah, I'm just going to get to start a brand, yeah, yeah, yeah. lose shitloads of money for five years, and then Heineken's going to buy us for 100 million. It doesn't, mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. You need to be a good business, a profitable business, a sustainable business to attract attention from anyone either way. So even if we were looking to exit, you know, in the short term, we probably wouldn't be doing things differently. It's it's interesting saying that. Like I, I talk a lot about like realism within business. I think people are always looking for that astronomical goal, that astronomical mm. sell, and it's so much more important to be realistic. If you, if you have any chance of making that sell, you've got to be re- realistic every day. So it's it's just it really, I'm trying to sort of define it more, but for me, it's very interesting that you say say it in in that capacity. Do you do you think you go about your business? every day like deeply deeply realist about it and that's why you have good reserves and that's why you are where you are at the moment even though the COVID situation is quite tricky you, yeah. you feel like you can manage it oh when i when i can't sleep at night you know when i get stressed out the first thing i do is go downstairs whip out my laptop and look at the financial model and go what happens if that happens plug it in i spend three hours looking at that and that gives me peace of mind okay now everything is in the right place you know the shape is right we've accounted for every single variable here and we'll still be fine. I think if you if you lose that that eye on the detail, mm. first of all, I think it'd be it's incredibly stressful, right? Yeah. To say, oh okay, I've got I've got a runway of six months worth of cash. Doesn't no one buys us by then. Well it is what it is. Well the the effort and the and, and the grind that you put in for the years leading up to that, just a waste of time. So I want to know that we can ride out the storm and I want to know that we are a good business at the heart of it. Mm. You know, that we're a solid business. Because then I'm not relying on someone to come write us a check. But it, you know, it, it's it's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's like when you, you advise to single friends, 
It's like guys going, <laughs> you know, oh, girls single. You go, don't go out there and act like you're desperate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to find someone because you, you, you put off those vibes, right? Because it's the yeah, same, right? Yeah. If you set something up and you're desperate for someone to come and make you an offer that you can't refuse, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's it's not going to attract what you want. Exactly. It certainly isn't. And just on that point, it kind of made me think about it when you said, you know, I wake up at night and check spreadsheets and so on and so forth. Well, that's a de- desperate single guy. Is yeah, that, no. is that, is that, is that, is that you? <laughs> that reminded me of myself. But apart from that, when you said you woke up at night and uh, to check the spreadsheets and all that sort of thing, are these the sort of skills that you had to learn which you had no idea about before? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, uh, I'm a creative person at the heart of it. So um, my skill set is in, in marketing, kind of branding. Yeah. Um, running a business from top to bottom is something that I was out of my depth at. You know, and I've and I've had to learn pretty much like fire and brimstone stuff, and um, and 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 for sure, now I'm in a place where I'm very comfortable with all that, but definitely didn't come into it with a, an accounting degree, you know. And uh, but it's so important, right? It's it's yeah, under those fundamentals or those those core four or five different things, which is you know spreadsheets, deep organization, meticulous nature of understanding business plans. For me, unfortunately, it's just a, it's a labor that you have to accept you've got to do. Yeah, there are a couple of bedrocks, right, that you can't get away from. Numbers is one of those. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, I think I think brands are one of those. Every business is a brand as well. How you market that brand is is massively important. Um, how you set up the corporate governance of your business and the compliance across different things that you need, you know, that that's incredibly important. And the wonderful thing about being an entrepreneur is that you have to delve into every single area of running a business. So I so say one day you're the secretary, next day you're the sales guy, next day you're you're a lawyer. Mm. You know, I had a call with um, with a, a about a, a, a kind of uh, an investment query, and I had a call with a Zoom call with five solicitors the other day. I was thinking, this is bizarre. I don't know what any one of these five people are talking about, yeah, but I'm yeah, nodding yeah. my head going, okay, yeah, that, that, that sounds Put good. the Zoom on mute, just be like, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. afterwards, I had to go back and say, okay, what does this mean? Look at my little appendix of words that they use and sure. figure it out. So next time I was more prepared and I could actually take part in the conversation. So yeah, you, you, you learn pretty, pretty rapidly. Alistair, let's talk about marketing. <laughs> um, I think you did some quite interesting marketing ploys. Could you pinpoint a few of them that you think made a big difference in the growth of your business? Um, yeah, well, in general, I mean, it's always, it started off as a bit of a marketing play, you know, from the start, which is like, yeah, well, here's a, here's, a, here's a beer that we've made. We think it's nice, but we need, to, we need people to know about it, right? So we started with the, with the Wolfpack bus, and then we started driving the bus around, and... Um, and that was obviously something that was pretty disruptive and pretty different. So that was that was a really, um, yeah, it was a really good starting point. Um, from there, we obviously needed a way to then get people to taste our beer. We couldn't always say, "Oh, come come to a rugby match and come taste it on our bus," and we couldn't afford to do a canning run because I mean, this is like eight years ago. A minimum canning run, I think, is like it's like five hundred thousand cans or something you had to pay for to 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 put your beer into you know packaged whatever cans, sure. bottles, whatever it is. So we bought a Defender, put beer coolers in the back of that with beer taps and, you know, dr- drove it around. And when people said, can I do a sampling? We'd rock up at their, out there with the Defender, all beer from. That so was that was what, outside pubs? A- anywhere. A- anywhere, literally. Anywhere. Yeah, grip the, um, you know, the manager by the scruff of the neck and say, yeah. come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have a pint try our beer. You yeah, will yeah, try, yeah. You will try, try our beer. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we just, we've just tried to focus on, on, at every single turn on doing things differently, you mm. know, um, so, like, on the back of our, we did eventually do a canning run. On the back of our cans, we thought, well, one of the one of the mantras as as, as Wolfpack has always been, well, don't be a, don't be a dickhead. You know, if, if 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 everyone in your business you know lives up to that rule, 
in a pretty good place. Mm. So on the back of our cans, we just said, not for sale to dickheads. You know, just because we were like... Well, oh, yeah, we, I remember we, reading about that. Yeah, we're like, was, well, we can. It's great, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are lots of little bits and pieces that we've, that we've, uh, we've tried and lots, lots of things we got wrong. But um, yeah, again, I think we, we just, we've been very always passionate about doing things our way. You know, when the lockdown happened now recently, we had obviously tons of beer lying around sure. rather than dump it down the drain and try to claim back the, uh, you know, customs or the duty or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. We just put it in the Defender and just drove around and said, okay, we're just giving away free beer every day for lockdown. Yeah, I mean, if, if I could compliment you on it, I think you're incredibly honest. That's the word that comes to mind when I think of marketing. You're, you're, you're incredibly sort of, there's no, there's no fear behind it, if that makes sense. Uh, there's not, no, no budget behind it. Okay, I was being too philosophical, um, too, too nice. But, uh, but like, look, we are, and again, uh, like my, my belief, well not, and, and I might be wrong, but like, is that people can relate to brands that are, that are real, you know, yeah. and we are who we are. And we're not, we're not fabricating a story. <laughs> like I say, go, going back to the idea of, we're not sitting in a boardroom going, okay, well, let's try and portray ourselves as, as this. I mean, I'm six foot eight. When I walk into a room, it's very hard for me to act like I'm a, you know, a, a shorter chipster. Yeah. You know, although I've got the beard now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, getting, you're you know. getting there. And the jeans are pretty tight. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. I'm actually uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? That's that kind of thing. So yeah, we are AB players. We've, we've got our brewery. We, we, you know, the guys who like having fun, we like sociability, and and yeah, we wear our hearts on our sleeve. And yeah, I, I, I think that's a real big compliment to say that we, we market ourselves with honesty. And, I think I think we do. Yeah, it, it stands out. It, it definitely stands out, and, and the fact that you guys are behind it, like you said, and on top of that, you're doing your own venue, so you can be present in the venue. I think it all adds. These are all the pieces of the pie that adds up. Yeah, and you know what? Th- like with our marketing, it's actually it's just the fun stuff. You know, the, and I guess it's like that. That's that's what that's what marketing is. It's showing showing your you know putting your best foot forward. You know, we're not going to show pictures of us sitting you know having an argument about the forecast for you know the, the, the coronavirus. Yeah. All we'll do is show you actually when we get things right. You know, like when you come to our venues, this is the result of all our hard work, and it's and it's a hell of a lot of fun. And we just try to show people that you know the, the good times that we do have because as we discussed earlier, we take it we take a lot of joy out of this business. Like I love love being involved in, in Wolfpack, and I actually love coming to one of our bars or walk into someone else's bar, probably even more so, and see one of our beers on and join it with people. Yeah, do you, where was the first place after, after you, after where you served it personally, so uh, your double-decker bus and, and yeah. the Defender, where, where was the first ever Wolfpack Point pulled commercially with, um, outside? Of? Down the road at the Elgin and Maid Vale. Okay. Uh, so, so, we, um, so we've always lived in kind of NW6 and there's a, a small and really cool pub group uh, that, we always used to kind of, uh, I guess we used to leech a little bit. We used to sit in there with those kind of guys that yeah. come in and have their have their, their meetings there. Myself and Chris order one cup of coffee and sit there for three hours. <laughs> so the kind of guys that we banned from coming to our places. Yeah. And through that, eventually, you know, the the, the managers were like, what, "What do you guys do here every day?" I don't know. We're starting a starting a brewery. And, and by the way, you're our first customer. Like, yeah. when, when you get it right, you have to buy our beer. And we, so we spent months and months. If not a year, like probably over like an eighteen month planning period to get our first beer to them. So by the end of it, it was inevitable. They're like, for fuck's sake, if you guys don't give us a beer at the end of this, this would have been an absolute joke. So we kind of, yeah, put a huge amount of peer pressure on them to, to serve our beer. And it's still there today. I was going to say so that they're still pouring. Still there, it's yeah. a, and it's a really cool, it's probably probably our favorite favorite pub in London. Um, and obviously you did, you did that with your your business partner, and then we'll start with the with the defender. I just wanted to. Get your perspective on business partners in general. How important is business partner? 
for me, uh, like fundamental, you know, like it's I'm I'm the kind of person that needs to work with someone else. Yeah, me the same. Uh, otherwise, I I can go a bit stir crazy, you know. Like so, I think I have you know a hundred ideas, and there's maybe one good one in there. Yeah, but I need someone to listen to me bounce the other ninety nine around. So that's bad. That's bad. Oh, there's something there. That's terrible. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> this one is something that we can do. No, 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 with, don't you know? ever say that again. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so, so I kind of and um, I need someone to 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 work with and to like, get, you know, bring me up when I'm feeling a bit down or when I'm having a panicky moment. It's great to have someone to lean on. And then, obviously, got that in, in my co-founder Chris. And then very early on, we bought over. We bought into the business a guy called Scott Campbell, who's been with us since day one as well. Okay. Plus, and and again, he's he's the, he's the kind of third uh, leg to our business. So between the three of us, um, yeah, we're, we're incredibly tight and um, and all need each other massively. And and without those three people, and now we've got a fourth and, and Peter, with without everyone involved pulling their weight, we'd be a vastly different business. And certainly, if I was doing it by myself, we wouldn't have had the um, the success we've had until now. Yeah, could you even envisage doing it yourself or like? If you were honest, do you, do you think it would have lasted? I yeah, I, 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 I just don't think I would have wanted to. Mm. Know, I think it's important to have someone that's been down in the trenches with you and that shared those those bad days, those bad experiences. It's had to grind through the tough times. And then, you know, on the good days, you get those guys that, that are there with you as well. You can, you can you know, sit down and have a beer together and go, well, that was, that was rough, that was fun, that was great, so what's next, you know? You kind of share the journey with someone that, that relationship aspect of it is important. And maybe, you know, thinking out loud, it's back to those days of being a, a sportsman, right? Like I, I'd, I'd yeah, rather be a yeah, rugby player than a tennis player. Like, do it by yourself. Uh, yeah, I can agree with you. You go through these experiences together. I think a lot of people, you can see it in people's personality who really is going to thrive in a team environment and who, yeah. who does it individually. But I definitely think nowadays, and also with the businesses that you are doing, the business, sorry, that you're doing, without a doubt, it, it requires a team ethic. I don't see hospitality in particular alongside what you're doing in the brewery capacity to be something you can do on your own it's just it, there's too many components like there's too many you know you know you know yourself we're here like how many hours are you open a day yeah but at four o'clock every day and, that, and yeah. even that's quite a lot quite a lot that's quite a big set of hours and what goes behind that either side of it closing up stock take all these sort of things it's that that alone let alone the fact that you have a brewery and everything else for me it's I'm not saying it's impossible, but it makes so much more sense to have a team, you know? It, it is, but, but then again, I don't think you get to, to enjoy the upside of it, you mm. know, because, well, if you're sitting having a beer at one of, your, you know, one of your pubs or one of your customers, well, who's doing the books? Who's phoning this guy? Who's, you know, what, what, what the so delivery that was broken? That is, yeah, definitely. So you've just got a, a bit of manpower. And, yeah. and again, in our business, because of the model that we've set up in, mm. well, we, we, you know, we need every single person to be... At, at capacity all the time yeah you know? and, and um but look it translates into like at our venues we've, we've got the most incredible staff and that's important because obviously we don't sit down as much as i'd love to we don't sit in our pubs all day every mm. day um yeah. so you know they, they've got to feel like they're part of it as well because they fly the they fly the flag i mean they're probably well they, they're certainly more important than us in our own venues because that's what people see the wolfpack experience is seen you know via the you know the staff and the people that they interact with at our places. So, do you find you very much care about the person when you're employing people much more than than CV? Then see um, when you interview someone. Yeah, when when you're trying to employ someone, I think that's slightly yeah. off. Sorry, when when you're looking to employ someone, yeah. is it for for you especially nowadays, especially where you're in the business, is it about character above anything else? Um, 
it's probably the most important thing. I mean, we've employed tons of people that have never worked behind a bar before. Mm-hmm. But if you can, yeah, if you can pass a character test, it depends what kind of role you're applying for, right? Sure, like, sure. Um, but considering the team ethic we've talked about and generally what you're trying to yeah, do, I do mean, in, I, I, in a cultural I sense. Wouldn't, I wouldn't employ an accountant who's a wonderful bloke, but he doesn't know yeah. accounts, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, of course, but like of in terms of, you know, if you start at like just a, a, a member of, of the bar staff, well, mm-hmm. if you've got the personality, you kind of live the mantra, then we, yeah, we'll turn you into, into a rock star and try to paint a, a, a picture for you mm-hmm. that shows you how you can progress through our business. So our thing with employing staff is would you bring that guy over to your house to meet your family and have a beer with him? And if they say no, well, so it's a non-starter. If it's yes, then it's like, well, then surely, you know, we can find, we can find a way. Sure. Yeah. yeah that's, that's an interesting phrase you put out there. Um, do you, do you, is there any brands you admire? No. no I'm joking. Yeah, of course. No, no, no. no, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no, no by the way, some people say no to them when no, I ask no, that sort no, of, of question. There's brands from... And I mean that in, in, in your industry and without that you, that you look as a point, a point of reference, I guess. Yeah, look, I think... It's probably not, probably wouldn't surprise you. I mean, for us, Camden Brewery was amazing. You know, yeah. I think that they, they really set the standard into what, you know, craft beer could become. How you could start small and grow to, you know, to a massive size. And we've met uh, Jasper from, from Camden, and he's still massively involved to this day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, they were the, one of the guys that we were like, okay, well, can we fill their shoes as they become bigger and, and kind of move their business into a more commercial model? Can we fill the space that they've vacated? So definitely, from a from a you know, from a modelling perspective, I think, and, and the growth perspective, those guys have been, yeah, you know, they've, they've they've been very influential. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, in, in brewing, there's so many interesting stories uh, about how our brands have, have really latched onto this idea of we're going up against the commercial players. You know, we are going to show everyone what they've been missing. Um, and, and you know, Beaver Town's one that's doing incredibly well now as well. And I think again through sheer force of, well, yes, quality of their beer, but also the personality of their of their brand. Yeah, yeah, They've done absolutely. really, really well. So, yeah, we admire those guys massively. Any any brands or maybe even entrepreneurs outside of the industry? I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, nothing nothing like jumps out at me. Not, yeah, okay. Um, I think we, we we read a lot and we immerse ourselves in in business and in branding and we try to pick up little bits that that we like of every business. So we'll pull little little pieces that we see and we'll share and we'll think about how that could translate into Wolfpack, if it could translate into Wolfpack, and um, and always willing to, you know, to to borrow with pride from other businesses that are doing things really well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just on the point of entrepreneurs or, or stuff you've been reading, have you got a favourite book, business or otherwise? Uh, I mean, like, again, the, the, the one that, that everyone talks about is Shoe Dog, you know, Phil Knight, which is obviously... Really, really good. Um, I, I don't like business books. Like, I just, I think I like to, I like to speak to people. You yeah. know, like when I get the opportunity, I never say no to, to a meeting. I mean, sure. I think that's why we're here today. I yeah, never, absolutely. never say no to a conversation because you never know what you could, could learn. Yeah, it's the, best form of, it's the best form of education in my opinion. Yeah, so, so I think that the, the, the business learning that we've done has been through asking people and, and also just being, being vulnerable, being able to say, guys, I'm out of my depth here. How, how can, how do I do this? Can you please help me? I don't know. I don't know how to brew beer, but we want to start a brewery. Mm. Now we've always kept that. I think hopefully that self awareness going throughout the business. Like I said, we know what we're good at, and we know what we're not good at, and we we are very very eager to learn because we are very very far from 
finished article, and, and we're very aware of that. Are you are you planning on doing quite quite a few more venues? Is that really one of the priorities now? You would like to, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, with what's going on, it's tricky, but it's it, it is it is tricky, you know. And and we're not going to go and fly out and try and buy every single thing that gets boarded up. But if we can keep the integrity of the Wolfpack experience at the heart of it, and and, and we can grow our stable from two to three to five venues, then absolutely we'll we'll look to do it because we think that. Now, prior to lockdown, and I hope it's not callous to say, mm. but I think a lot of people have been like, well, I'll open up a pub and I'll serve average beer, average service, average food, and people will come because it's a pub. Oh, it's a good location, maybe. A yeah, good location. I'm not yeah. going to put that much effort into it. Now, we are at the coalface every single day, and we want to change. We want to. We want to change that kind of narrative to like back into the into the spirit of the pub as it was, you know, 20 years ago, the heart of the community. Yeah. And why? Because people know your name. Because you feel comfortable there. Because Everyone is invited. It's it's inclusive. It's accessible. All those things that are great about the the, the Great British Pub. We'd like to be a leader in that in that field moving forward. And 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 in the new normal, we're going to be looking for for new people to fly that flag. Yeah, but I, but I guess from the venues I've seen so far, even like the environment like here, it wouldn't. It doesn't strike me as a traditional pub. It, it no. strikes me as super rustic, super natural, super organic. Well, yeah, look, why 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 have you gone that way? Because it's us, yeah. you know. It's just, just like that, that, that. Those are the things that we gravitate towards. So, very simply, like we haven't we haven't fundamentally changed the changed the nature of what what a pub or a bar is. Mm. Um, guys that have done that are guys like Flight Club, you know, um, Shuffle Shuffle Club, yeah. which are insane technology. The experience there is second to one. Uh, Pat Shack and all those kind of guys. That's a whole new offering. That's brilliant. That's not us. We're just saying, can, how do we build on the on the on the foundation of what the pub is? You know. Um, we do brilliant beer. So all our pubs, we, we obviously serve our own beer, but we also serve tons of other beer. It's all on draft. Um, staff are incredibly knowledgeable. The staff are the second thing that I, I reckon probably the highlight of all our places. They are people that you want to be friends with. They're passionate about what they do. and We play really good music. Mm. You know, create an atmosphere and a vibe and an energy that makes you want to come back. So look, is it, is it changing the game? Well, if you look at, look at it on a piece of paper, no. Hopefully you walk into one of uh, our Wolfpack sites and you go, okay, Jesus, this is a place where I want to bring my mate to. And I want to show them that actually you can take an old garage that's been here for 50 years and turn it into something that you are proud of or proud to be in with your mates. Yeah, the, the environment definitely fits the identity of what you talk about, which, which, I, think is, which I think is so important. Um, the, ch the challenge is how to do that at scale, right? So yeah, I, I always the, wonder that. Yeah, it's like the kind of, might sound a bit wanky, but there's like, we've heard the terminology that you get to go from the sphere of observation where you're like actually in the places every single day to this sphere mm -hmm. of influence. Sorry, mm -hmm. I'm still banging my hand on the table. Yeah, it's fine, don't uh, worry. Don't just go with the, it, go with yeah. it. Don't so, worry too so, much. Yeah, so you move from the, yeah, that sphere of observation. It, well, that's that, the, the, the five to 10 venues and beyond that when you're just trying to churn them out. When, so when you're not there, yeah. are people still living to the standards and behaving to the standards that you, you know, that, that they would perform yeah. when you were there? When, and I always wonder when, when you talk, talk about that is, is where are there examples of when it's gone beyond 10 venues and it, they yeah. still manage that quality? And it's hard to think of any. Like, can, can you think offhand, like restaurant-wise? Not really, pub-wise? I mean, there's pub co's yeah. that own lots of different individual pubs, but I guess what they do there is they create almost a family within each pub that exactly. cares, cares for it deeply. And I guess that was something you're, you're trying to do a lot. Yeah, the, be the best pub co's are ones that you wouldn't think are part of a pub co. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so as you say, like, Individually branded places mm. um, with very smart people running the back ends. You know, the supplier might be quite similar, the offerings might be quite similar, 
but each experience at the different venues feels unique. Um, for us as a, as a Wolfpack, as a branded player, it's probably a field that people would be cautious of. Right? People don't want branded experiences. But I think even in the, in, in the two venues you've got, the core is the same, the soul's the same, but the experience is slightly different. And I think one how, of the challenges... How, how so, by the way? Sorry to cut you off there, but how so? Well, like I said, if you think about the, at the heart of it, great beer, great music, great people, those three things are fundamental. Mm -hmm. The aesthetic is the same, but obviously you can't go and buy mechanics garages all, all across London. It just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. Mm. So we've got to try to find a way to fit our personality into a space that might not necessarily be ideal. You know, as a smaller business as well, trying to look to buy new properties, we obviously don't get access to properties first. They've been mm -hmm. offered to 10 other people before mm -hmm. that have been in the industry for 100 years. Um, so we have to try to think about, okay, well, yeah, how do we retrofit a Wolfpack experience into, into a new space? But yeah, I, again, I think the core is the experience of, is this a place that's, that is inclusive, that encourages people to have fun, to get around a table in the nature of like, okay, actually, there is something very special about having a, a, a few beers. And, and these are subtle mates. differences, really, aren't they? I think so, yeah. 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 Um, sorry, before I sort of cut you off there, you were going to say the challenges. Do you remember what that was? Oh, well, no, no it's exactly that. It's, 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 it's trying to find the yeah. scale yeah. without becoming a copy-paste, you know, like a cookie-cutter. Yeah. yeah and, and a lot of those uh, businesses, like high street restaurants and stuff, are failing because people are like, once I've been to one coat, I've been to 100. You know, and, um, and, yeah, you know, good example. Um, so those restaurant chains are, are suffering a little bit. So that that's something that we've got to be really aware of. You don't want people to go, okay, cool. Uh, you know, Wolfpack and Queens Park's great, um, but they've got one in West Hampstead, they've got one in Fulham, they've got one in Chiswick. That, actually, guys, they're, that, they're all the same. Once you've been to one, you've been to all of them. Yeah, yeah. You want people to say, oh, I'm in Chiswick. Apparently, there's a Wolfpack there. We've got to go to that one because the one in Queens Park is so much fun. Mm. You know? And I guess on that point. That's why you're not rushing to get the next one unless it really feels right. Absolutely, no, no, we don't. We don't want to rush. I mean, we want to. We, we momentum is a wonderful thing, right? It's it's um, it's hard to create. Very easy to to you know <laughs> to kind of well lose, I guess. Yeah. We do feel like we've got some good traction, some good momentum. So we want to be positive and we want to move forward with an appetite to grow with with a bit of speed. But yeah, in the right way, in the right places, at the right time. So yeah, it's a it's a bit of a balancing act from that side. Yeah, I. I I completely agree that you see some people just race ahead and before you know it, they've, like you said, they're, they're completely uh, almost like a cardboard cutout or moulded into something that isn't necessarily actually that, that appealing. So house of cards, right? And that's yeah. what you spoke about earlier. So yeah, we could maybe find a way, big bar of steel and open five, five bars next year, you know, do, make another five beers and then just put it out there and really hope that it succeeds. But would, it, would you lose the value? You'd probably lose the value. I mean, you, might, you might kill it, but it would be very very risky and there's a good chance that it all implodes and we don't we don't want to find ourselves in that position yeah I totally agree it's made me think about a business I did a while ago what keeps you up at night apart from business and, and my children and your children yeah um, if I if I if I get my balance wrong so if I I'm working too much not looking after my diet not training enough I get anxious. So I have to make sure that I'm not overindulging, not drinking too much of this stuff. Yeah, if tell I am, about it. Yeah, I'm yeah. balancing with training, you know, yeah. that I'm eating the right diet, then I think if everything's in harmony, then I'm good to go. But if I feel like, and it's the same the other way around, actually. If I take myself too seriously, I also get a bit stressed. If I'm just business, just focusing on, like, you know, trying to improve my 100-kilometer cycle time and stuff, I get a bit miserable as well. 
You do 100k cycles? Yeah, 100 mile. I'm 100 trying to get 100 mile once a year. Really? Okay. I mean, I'm not yeah. not an athlete anymore, well, luckily, but I don't know. Well, obviously, you're incredibly capable. Just on that point, actually, just be quite interested. Post post um, professional sportsman, were you quite good at maintaining fitness, or did you have quite a lull? I had a bit of a lull, actually. I, I, to be honest, like re- retired from rugby, couldn't run five kilometers because like, my body just broke down. Yeah, you're so used to getting worked on every single day. Sure. You know, the first thing you do in the morning is seven o'clock. You're in the physio bed. Mm. Just getting you ready for the day, strapping you up. I mean, every morning you get both ankles strapped, both knees strapped, a shoulder strap, and that's you for the day. Yeah. You, you like you live on that. Yeah, yeah. And then afterwards you get a wrap down and all the rest of it. So when I went out of that, not working on the little, you know, the little niggles that you have throughout your career, so mm. go for a run. Suddenly the knee would give out, and Achilles would flare up. Um, but I, but again, I'm a kind of person that if I'm not active, I'm a bit of a misery. Me too. So Me too. I have to get I out. Find, I find stuff. it fundamental. It's, it's yeah. something I can't compromise on. Yeah. So whenever, whenever, whenever I'm a bit dark, my wife's like, "Put your running shoes on, get out, yeah. have a run." <laughs> yeah. You know, like have a cycle, go do a, a hit session or something like that. And that's that's actually really really important. Are there any amateur sports you're pursuing? As like nowadays, because you mentioned cycles, that made me think maybe he's doing a triathlon or something. Yeah, something I did. I did a half Iron Man last year, which is, which is actually um, very shit. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed. It. No, it's terrible. Be honest, um, be honest. No, but I enjoyed the the, the challenge, and I enjoyed like kind of having to train for something, gets you off the couch, gets you out of bed in the morning. So I, I think I'll do more of those. Um, but generally, like I, I mean, I, I play quite a bit of golf, but I'm not actively involved in a competitive sport. I just need to uh, to break a sweat every day to make me feel, yeah, just to, just to say, just to be in in harmony. And also, I think I, like if I'm active, my thoughts are clearer. I feel like I, I can. It's easier for me to do what needs to be done in a day. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk a lot about sort of positive habits within entrepreneurship. Beyond the exercise, is there anything you particularly sort of take note on? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually I kind of practice mindfulness, so I try to make sure that I'd like to say I do it every day. I don't. Um, you mean, what you mean by that is what just like try, try ten minutes. Yeah, or? just a ten minute meditation every day. Um, I think I think it's quite important to just try find. Some time to just be at peace and not be on the phone, not thinking about what's next. I find that quite refreshing. So, like something you know, like exercise, I feel like it gives me a bit of energy. Yeah. So that's that's really important. Did um, you, sorry, sorry to cut yeah. you off. Did you do that in, when you were in sport? Yes. Or so yeah. that was all the way through. Yeah, well, I learned through. There's a, a really a guy who's really influential in my career called David Jones. He's the head of um, essentially uh, what would we call it? Um, personal development, I think, was his title. But he is an incredibly qualified um, psychologist. And he'd work with guys across all the different um, mental parts of, of, of being a sportsman. And he brought in mindfulness and meditation into the, into the, the rugby environment. Not everyone did it, but it was something that I just I kind of related to and I felt that it helped me. So yeah, I really, kept, really kept that it. Out. Yeah, yeah I, I, did, I did enjoy it. Well, like, the principle of it is quite simple. Can you just sit still for 10 minutes? And not just, say anything. Just be at ease. Not think about anything. Yeah. Just be at ease in your own company. And it's a bit of a challenge, right? Because at first you sit for two minutes. You, you can't. And I'm like, if I can't sit for 10 minutes with my own thoughts, you know, something's wrong. Yeah. And, uh, I, mean, I mean, I've been through the same thing myself. It's, yeah. it's, it's so interesting when you, when you hear people's perspective because it's normally quite relatable. It's, you do start those two, three minutes and you're just still sort of like, why can't, why, why, why? Why can't I do this? Yeah. But, it seemed, but like it's you mad. said, at the same time, it's like you should be able to do this. You should be able to do it. Like everyone should be able to do it. Yeah. But it's very difficult. It, it really is. Did, did, you, did, you, um, did you find you did that? Pre-game was it was it useful uh, for a pre-game mentality? Because it's, it's I always find it interesting on the rugby rugby 
situational field. There's two. There seems to be two ways, or at least in my experience, although it was at best high level county county or schoolboy schoolboy mm. rugby. But there were some people who were super calm before a match. Yeah, super yeah. super calm. They just sat there, complete serenity. And then they went on the pitch. And they almost glided along the pitch, mm. and 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 they had a certain calmness about it. Then other people were like literally headbutting bridges. Yeah, were you on the more serene side, yeah. and especially when you started to come through through in the mindfulness? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like mindfulness on a match day. Well, actually, to be honest, it wasn't wasn't really to do with rugby, just in terms of like stress and mm. switching off. Mm. Um, but, but it connects, yeah, right? I think it does connect. Yeah, it does connect. And, and and my match day behavior was much more in the spirit of mindfulness than it was on like aggression and sucking myself up. If I find if I suck myself up too much. I found that very stressful and I found it hard to make good decisions on the field as well. So if you, th- if all you're thinking about is like running around trying to s- smash everything that moves, yeah, it's very hard to make a really smart decision about the next line out call or in a, a, in a leadership role, how you have a conversation with the referee and how you want to influence him to make, you know, the next decision be one that's in your favor. Mm. So yeah, definitely. Clearest judgment, judgment is possible. Clearest judgment is possible. Like, like everything. I think if you, I just approach it in quite a business-like manner. Like, in this part of the game, this is what I have to do. Yeah, th- this part might be quite... An, uh, when you're defending, you have to get off the line and, and, and tackle something. It's quite aggressive. Mm. It doesn't mean for the whole game I have to be in that aggressive mindset because when I'm receiving a kickoff or pushing a scrum, I don't have to be aggressive for that. I have to be really focused and, and clear of my surroundings, you know, aware of my surroundings. And what? Focus on technique, all these things that would just yes. require con- yeah, concentration. Exactly. exactly. Um, who is the best player you played with? Yeah, I get asked that a lot. I think um, I think Alex Good is, is is probably really is probably the guy that I think is the most underrated. Player I think in he's I do think he's unbelievable. Um, but he's just he's phenomenal. He can he can do everything, and um, I, I'm surprised that he hasn't played fifty games for England, if not more, because I, I just think he's well, so was capable. It, was it him or Mike Brown at the time? Was that the? Yeah, I think Eddie just preferred Mike Brown. That's fine. That's yeah. coach's prerogative. And Mike Brown is a very Good player for England as well, mm. but but I, but I think that Goody is just consistent, and uh, and not only consistent in, in, in the way that I oh, does the basics well, he's reliable, but he he like just a game breaker. Um, put him at ten, he's just as good as fifteen. He can take a hard ball, he can tackle, he can defend. He's got a turn of pace that you wouldn't you you wouldn't think like watching how he moves and stuff, but just a, just an all round superstar on the field. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably go you for definitely him. pin him as the yeah, as the best player so. you played with. And best player you played against? Um, in my younger days in South Africa, I played against um, my competition. The South African setup were two guys called uh, Victor Matfield and Bucky's Werther. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were a, a tough combination because Bucky's was just a brute. He was just a, a, an enormous, dangerous yeah. beast. And then and then Victor was uh, a big guy as well, but very skillful, um, very. Um, Quite academic in the way he approached the game as well, so not not particularly aggressive, but just mm. very clinical and his, his detail and how he played the game. And um, yeah, so I th- I'd say Victor was the guy that I tried to mould my game on. Didn't ever quite achieve that, but um, certainly and, someone and, and I looked just for perspective, perspective for people who don't know rugby, th- those guys got hundred plus caps each, didn't they? For South uh, Vic- Victor did, yeah. Victor, I think, were like hundred and sixteen or something caps was the Springboks, and Bucky's must have had eighty, and they played as a, as a combination. Yeah, yeah so. Exactly. They were just, I mean, the greatest ever, a second row, which is the position I played, the greatest ever combination. They were, yeah, they, they were scary guys to play against. They were that good. 
Was playing for South Africa your, your biggest honour in sport? Or, or, no, or? no, it actually wasn't. I, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I think, I, I think I'm incredibly privileged to, to have played for my country. It's every, every kind of kid's dream, I think he pulls on a, 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 mm-hmm. a club jersey. But, um, but my time at Saracens is when I felt, I felt, I found, it, found it to be the most rewarding because I think the, the ethos and what I learned from the idea that, you know, treat people incredibly well and they'll work incredibly hard for you. Mm-hmm. you know, look after people, put people at the heart of every decision you make. That, that for me has been fundamental in how I, how I look at my life and, and my business now. Um, South Africa was just a, it's a pride thing, just a me thing. Like, oh, great, I paid for my country. Well, that doesn't make me a better businessman. My mm-hmm. time at Saracen has actually made me, a, I think, a better person, a better family man, a better businessman. So I'm incredibly proud of that. So you consider that a, a bigger honor, really? And, and like you said, you have no qualms about that. But yeah, maybe, when maybe, you look at it overall, that's probably, maybe probably not, the biggest honor. Maybe not honor, you know? Maybe maybe the biggest honor. So maybe, yeah, maybe I'm interpreting that question the wrong way. Well, well I guess there's two or three fold to it, isn't there? What, I guess what's the biggest honor? What did you get the most gratification out? When I asked the question, it's... There, might, there may be more than one answer. Yeah, I think so. Maybe, maybe the you know the biggest honour might have been to put on that jersey for South Africa. The most rewarding part of it was having a career for a club that I really, really cared about. It yeah. resonates with me. So, if you say to me now, well, who did you play rugby for? I say Saracens. Oh, and I played for the Springboks as well. I was lucky mm-hmm. enough to be you know capped by the Springboks as well. But um, and despite what's happened in the rugby world, the Saracens, I'm incredibly proud to have been a part of that uh, club. Best moment on the rugby pitch? That's oh, just it's it's um, it's winning winning finals, right? Any particular one? Oh, I captain Saracens in 2015. We won the Premiership final. It took it eighty thousand people. That was pretty amazing. Good experience. I always enjoyed the things off the field more. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, as as we spoke about earlier, winning a game and then going out of your teammates that you've really toiled with um, and, and having fun with them afterwards. Those are the, those are the, the memories that are, are kind of really. Yeah, I, I, that I hold dear to me, mm. rather than oh, this, I scored this amazing try, which I never used to do anyway. So. But um, but all this great. I scored a few. I remember, I remember watching a few games. You scored a few. Oh, you time. must have watched the two that I scored a try. Yeah, you were, you were, you, it was in your younger days for sure. So yeah, but it was, it was those off-field things that I think were, were really important to me. Um, best moment in business so far. Best moment in business. Um, well, we probably haven't had it yet, right? Like, is like because whenever we achieve one, we go okay, that was cool, but. You know what's what's the next thing? Um, no, there, there, there isn't one thing that that stands out to me. It's this is a long it's a long journey, and there's there's little sparks and there's peaks and there's troughs, and we, we're trying to make an effort to, you know, draw back and zoom out and, and, and look at the good things we're doing. But we, we haven't we haven't achieved nearly what we need to achieve to say that there's been like there's been one significant moment. Every day is a journey, and every day we're grinding, and you know we're putting everything into it to eventually build something that we're incredibly proud of. What's your favourite movie? Favourite? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Geek. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Right? Like every Sunday, I say to the missus, I'm like, should we just get a bottle of wine and watch the full trilogy? And she's going, ah. Oh, she's like, no, I've got again. two children. I don't have to, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, can I get dressed up as Gandalf for the staff and just turn the car? <laughs> Would that be weird? Uh, well, is it, does it get weird? Yeah, it could be. Could be. <laughs> um, uh, just a couple last points. And, and I just before we go any further, I'd say thank you so much for doing this. I think it was mm-hmm. great. It was an unbelievable conversation and, and just... And just some of your answers were fantastic. Is there anyone you idolise, past, present? No, uh, there's no one that, that I idolise. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a family person at the heart of it. So the people I, I idolise are my, my, my parents, you know, um, my family, the people that helped me growing up. 
that those are the people that I always look to for um, no, for support and on my you know when I'm going through tough times. Um, that includes my, my 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 grandparents, my my grandfather's a big part of my life. So it's it's kind of family first. Um, but there, like I said, there are a lot of people that have been influential across my different the different careers that I've had. Mm. But in terms of um, idolizing people, family. Interesting you say that. Well, could I extend it further? Say, is there any particular person that you not necessarily idolize? Because I think people sometimes struggle with that word. It's maybe too on a pedestal. But mm. is there one or two people you admire admire for? Who you've seen throughout your life, you admire for certain certain qualities. Well, like I said, I, I just it, I always find it very hard to pinpoint like a person or a book or a lesson or yeah. anything like it. I yeah. think I think you know the lessons I've learned and 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 people that I've interacted with all form a part of form a part of who I've become and have influenced me in certain ways. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say there's one person who's stood head and shoulders above above all of that really. Um, and I think that makes me very lucky. No, I think, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. that a breadth of people to yeah, be able you, to you've had on. that many yeah. people in your life, no one yeah. stands out. And, very, very and by the way, like when I asked, that is a question we normally ask. Mm. It's not necessarily always just a single answer. I agree, yeah. I agree yeah. many times it is your sort of answer. Mm. The final thing I just want to touch on is you obviously finished your career early through concussion. And I remember before we started recording, you said obviously in, in your day, who knows how many concussions you had. Yeah. It only became yeah. at the forefront. Would you like to sh- shine any light on that or shed any, any light on that about, does that concern you? And is there any v- advice you could give to maybe rugby players or people in the sport like that? And and is there anything you're keeping an eye on? And I hope I'm not p- uh, shining a light if you're not, but is there anything you're keeping an eye on maybe in a, in a charitable sense or in a medical sense where that, that can potentially help people? Yeah, I mean, I, um, well, to answer the first question, um, yeah, I am, I am concerned about concussion in the sport of rugby. But I think there's a huge awareness around it now, which is which is massively important. A decade ago, there wasn't. So I think there are now processes and protocols in place um, that are protecting players. Mm. Look, at the end of the day, we don't know enough about the long-term impact of concussion. That's the scary thing. But we do know that multiple concussions are very, very serious. So the first thing for me is to acknowledge the fact that if you play a contact sport, and when I say contact sport, I don't include football in that. I'm talking about rugby. I've got one more question after this. Okay. <laughs> Just so you know. That, that, that if, you, if you want to play rugby, it's a choice you make and you have to accept the risk that concussion is a part of that. So is breaking a leg, twisting an ankle. It's the most important thing for me, if I think about would I let my children play rugby, the answer is yes, if I know that they will get lot looked after in the case of a concussion. Mm. And that's started to happen. You know, There's now huge responsibility on coaches to say, get that player off the field if they show any signs of a concussion. Whereas back in the day, it was like, toughen up. You know, banging your head was the same as like getting a, a shot in the knee or something. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I think there's, yeah, there, there, there's much better policies around concussion now. So I, I think it's in good hands, um, and I'm pleased with the way it's it's developed. But I do, I do, um, I do keep an eye on it because again, I think that sometimes it has to be taken out of the players' hands. A few years ago, they, they were asked about, "Are you concussed?" Yeah, it's not. It's, you know, it's and, not and, it's, and when you're in the mo- it's like it's, boxing, they, they never want to stop. You never want to stop. Yeah. You see guys walking the field; they're always complaining. Oh no, I'm fine. Let me carry on. Let me carry on. And that conversation, that decision needs to be taken out of the players' hands. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is starting to happen. So, look, it's it's something to to keep an eye on. Um, do I think it's going to change the game in the long term? I hope not. I think the, the physicality and you know the collisions are the reason why rugby is such a a brilliant sport but we have to look after players first and foremost 
What is your uh, thoughts on football culture? Oh, no, I mean, I say to Jess, look, I think... No, 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 the reason why I asked that was actually, to be honest with you, a a thought I had Mm. when when I first uh, knew that we were doing this because I do love football, but for me, the ethics I learned in rugby are just so profound and and so so incredible. And And football has... Rugby is growing and it's fantastic, yeah. but and and it's affecting kids in the right in the right way. But you do worry; it's mu- a much more of a mixed uh, variable or point of view with regards to football. Yeah, I mean, look, and I don't. I'm born in South Africa. I mean, we number one hundred and seventy-five in the world when it comes to you know, football ranking. Um, but there's two different cultures, yeah, com- com- completely different cultures. Um, football, I'm, I'm sure, does a huge amount of good. Mm. I think. I think. It's such an it's a, it's the biggest sport in the world for a reason, so, mm. and because it's so easy to access. And we talked about opportunities earlier on. Well, I think there's probably much more opportunity for someone in a, a, a come from a poverty stricken background to be a good footballer than a rugby player. It's an easier game to play, to understand, and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, to your question about what I think about it, I th- uh, look, I'll, I'll 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 dodge the question and say I think the rugby culture in the UK is phenomenal. Because I think it's a family environment. I think the way the fans interact is, is, is brilliant. I think it's a safe environment. And again, I think it's fun. Like, I think if you go watch a rugby match as someone who's not that into rugby, you could sit in between a Saracen supporter and a Leicester supporter and yeah, have a great day and have a yeah. bit of banter and have a few beers. And afterwards, you know, have a, have a half half or, or an elbow yeah. tap in this day and age mm-hmm. and, and have, a, have a kind of good evening. Whereas so, so football's obviously, it's quite. Yeah, it's it's volatile, mm. and I, I, I guess that that, that would be the point is where where could football learn from a culture like rugby? Right. These are the, these are the sort of things you would you would point to. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's like rugby. I mean, how big is rugby compared to football? And the, and, and and a football culture culture wanted to change. It's quite it'd be quite easy to do it, right? Like I think that that's very obvious. That's well, I, always, I always wonder with that. Why why would it not have changed? Because well, it's, like, it's it, there's obviously some indented. And we're getting almost quite philosophical here, or psych- psychological, but there are elements of psychology within within particular fan type sports. I know when I go to football, I naturally want to be a bit more rowdy as a result because I'm yeah. there. It's it's because you're an animal. Because I am an absolute animal. <laughs> I'm I'm a wolf in the wolf pack. Um, but it's just for me, it really interests me, and especially someone like yourself who has played in the game, sees another sport where where there's a much more mixed opinion about culture. When I, when I talk about football, I just wonder. Rugby seems to be a sport where we can take a lot of. A lot from it and, and emulate it in other areas areas of, of different sports. Like I say, if football wanted to change, it could. I mean, like, let's take little things. In rugby, you call the referee sir. In football, you call them things that I won't even say into the you, microphone. You can curse, by the way. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to stop that, you'd just say, okay, if one curses at the referee, you get a, a, a three-match ban. You know, like... They're, they're just, it's, I do it, agree. Simple things like that. Simple yeah, things. Yeah. Don't you? you don't have to fundamentally change the fabric of the game. Um, but it's like, a, you know, from the little I know about football, it's like diving is... In, in like in Spanish football, it's massive. It's part of the game. Mm-hmm. It's like if you ever played water polo, it's like part of water polo is getting a foul is a skill is a is a skill. I think in, in Spain they, they look at it like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, if you, drawing the professional foul, but I guess drawing. The, but I mean, but if even you want, rugby, you if you want to say diving out of it, well, you just say okay. Well, they're, 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 like in rugby, there's a sighting officer afterwards. If you if you caught diving, you get banned for five games. People wouldn't dive. Like so, there are like they're pretty simple solutions. It just seems to me that obviously. The people that are in charge or responsible for the culture of football are obviously quite happy with where it is. And um, and who am I to say this is how you should do things? Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys. Another episode of uh, 
the Entrepreneur's Experience by Babylonian Media, episode eight. Thank you very much, Alistair, for being Cheers here. It's fantastic. Cheers. Thank you. Take care.